0: The following episode contains mature themes and language that may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Andreas, Cecilia, Victoria, Cecilia, Joseph, and Maria all lived in Germany in the 1920s. When a neighbor found all six dead one morning, the investigation into one of Germany's biggest mysteries began. Welcome to True Crime Worldwide, a podcast where we cover crime cases all around the globe. I'm your host, Annika, and this is episode 14. Today, we're looking at the case of the Hinterkaifeck murders. As this episode comes out on my birthday, I wanted to tell you guys about one of my favorite cases, and this is one of them, so I hope you enjoy this week's episode. The Hinterkaifeck was a small Bavarian farmstead located about 70 kilometers north of Munich, Germany. It was built around the year 1863. Six people were living in it at the time of this case: Andreas Gruber, who was 63; his wife, Cecilia Gruber, who was 72; their daughter, Victoria Gabrielle, who was 35; Victoria's two children, Cecilia Gabriel, who was seven, and Joseph Gabriel, who was two. The family maid also lived in the house, and her name was Maria Baumgartner, and she was 44. I would also like to point out that the name Cecilia or Cecilia, I have no idea how to say it, so I'll probably be switching between the two during this episode, and I am very sorry if I mispronounce it. Victoria's husband, Carl Gabriel, had died in World War I in December of 1914. Baby Joseph was actually born illegitimately to Victoria after her husband's death. At the time, the common belief with the people that knew the family was that Joseph was the son of Andreas, who was Victoria's father. Their incestuous relationship was documented during some kind of court session and everyone in the surrounding village was aware of it. Another rumored father of Joseph was a man named Lorenz Schlittenbeier, who was believed to have been in a relationship with Victoria for a short period of time, even leading up to the time of her murder, allegedly. In the beginning of October in the year 1921, the maid of the Gruber family quit her job. The reason she gave for leaving was that she had recently begun hearing strange noises in the attic, and she was convinced the house was haunted. In the beginning of March in 1922, five months later, Andreas Gruber found a strange newspaper that he did not remember purchasing. He thought perhaps the mailman had accidentally left it at the wrong house, or had accidentally left his own paper there. He later asked but the mailman said he hadn't delivered anything like that recently. None of the neighbors nor any of the family's friends were subscribed to that specific paper. In the days leading up to March 31st, 1922, Andreas told his friends that he found footprints in the snow leaning from the forest to a broken door lock in the farm's machine room, meaning someone had broken in. Andreas also mentioned that while there were footprints leading up to the door, there were none going back or leaving the farm at all, at least from that entrance. That same night, the multiple members of the family heard footsteps in the attic, but when Andreas went to search the entire house, including the attic, he found nobody and no signs of anyone ever being there. Family friends wanted Andreas to go to the police, most of them even insisted on it, but he wouldn't listen and none of these incidents were officially reported. In the afternoon of March 31st, 1922, which was a Friday, Maria Baumgartner arrived on the Kaifek farm for her first day of work as the new maid. Maria's sister had driven her there and left after only a short stay. She was reportedly the last person to ever see the family. That night, the family all went to bed as usual, each retiring to their given rooms as they did every other night. From what we can guess from the evidence, the perpetrator somehow lured Victoria into the family barn through the stable. It's generally assumed that they used the animals to draw them out. This is the same barn that had been broken into just a few days before. Victoria was murdered with a mattock belonging to the family. She was hit with the blunt side and received multiple hard blows to the head. The process was repeated on Victoria's daughter, Cecilia, followed by Andreas, and finally, Andreas' wife, Cecilia. They all met the same gruesome fate, being lured and killed one at a time. Finally, the perpetrator moved into the house, where they killed baby Joseph, who was asleep in his crib. Last, they killed the new maid, Maria, while she was asleep in her bedroom. Her very first night at her new job, and she was brutally murdered. On April 1st, the next morning, two coffee sellers named Hans Szyrowski and Edouard Szyrowski arrived at the house to place an order. Nobody responded to the knocks on the doors and windows, so the two walked around the yard and didn't see any signs of anyone being home. They did, however, notice that the gate to the machine house was left open, but they decided to leave anyway. It was noted that Cecilia Gabriel was absent unexcused for the next few days of school, and the family failed to show up for Sunday worship at the church. On April 4th, Albert Hoffner went to the barn to repair the engine of one of the machines. He also did not find any sign of the family. He waited for an hour to get a response from them before he decided to go ahead with his repair anyway, which took about four hours and 30 minutes. Around 3.30 p.m. on April 4th, so later that same day, Lorenz Schlittenbeier, the man rumored to be in a relationship with Victoria, sent his son Johan, who was 16, and his stepson Joseph, who was 9, to the Hinter Kaifek barn to see if they could find any information about the family, or better yet, talk to someone to see what was going on and where they had all disappeared to. The two boys came home and said they couldn't find anyone. Lorenz and his two friends, Michael and Jacob, decided to head to the farm later that day themselves. When there was nobody visibly around, they entered the barn, where they found the bodies of Andreas Gruber, Cecilia Gruber, Victoria Gabriel, and Cecilia Gabriel. Lorenz had a strange reaction to this. When he found the bodies, they were in a stack, partially covered by hay and other such barn-related things. But he pulled the bodies off of each other and moved them around the barn meaning he completely contaminated the crime scene. While the two men, Michael and Jacob, were in shock, Lorenz decided to move on to the house alone to look for, quote, his son, unquote. He was referring to baby Joseph when telling his friends this, as he always claimed the baby was his. Inside of the house, Lorenz found baby Joseph Gabriel and the maid, Maria Baumgartner. Joseph had sadly been bludgeoned to death, just like the rest of the family. When police were called Inspector George Rankruber was the first to respond to the scene. Other officers from the Munich Police Department worked under him to investigate the massacre, as he was deemed lead detective. The authorities were already four days late, and a lot of the crime scene had been tampered with and interacted with including the bodies having been moved around the barn. Cooked and eaten meals were also found in the kitchen. On April 5th, 1922, a court physician named Johann Baptist Ammuller performed the autopsies in the barn. He determined that a matic was most likely the murder weapon, though nobody could find the weapon itself on the scene. He also found that Victoria's daughter, Cecilia, had been alive for several hours after the attack, she had torn out her own hair in tufts while lying in the hay and straw, slowly dying from her wounds while stacked underneath her dead family members. Tufts of her hair were found in her hands. The skulls of the victims were removed on scene and transferred to Munich. Where they were further examined for evidence. Victoria's skull was smashed and her head had nine star-shaped wounds along the right side of her face. Her daughter, Cecilia, had her lower jaw shattered along with her face being covered in large circular wounds. I can't even begin to imagine the pain she was in with her jaw shattered, just sitting there waiting to die. All of the bodies were covered with something. The ones in the barn, with straw and hay, Joseph, with one of Victoria's dresses, and Maria was covered with a bedsheet. We know today that this is a sign of remorse, and something often done when the attacker knew their victims. The initial theory was robbery, and the police questioned traveling craftsmen, vagrants, and several inhabitants from the village as well. During the investigation, however, they found a large amount of money was still in the house. So this theory was thrown out. Strangely, it was found that after the family was already dead, someone had fed the cattle and eaten food from the kitchen. There was recently cut meat found in the pantry, meaning someone had been living with the dead family for several days after the murders. The victims were most likely drawn to the barn from noises the cattle were making, and upon testing, the investigators found that human screams couldn't be heard from inside the house if they were coming from the barn. Michael Plockel, an artisan, testified that he had passed the home on the evening of April 1st, the day following the massacre. He said someone had been heating the oven. That person approached him with a lantern and blinded him, and Michael decided to continue on his way without starting anything. He also added that he noticed a smell from the fireplace that was, quote, disgusting, unquote, but there was no investigation into this allegation. Simon Reslander, a farmer and butcher, came forward when he heard about the Hinterkaifeck murders, saying he had more information. He said that on April 2nd, at approximately 3 o'clock AM, he was on his way home and he had to pass the farm. He saw two unknown figures lingering at the edge of the forest. When these people saw Simon, they turned around so their faces could not be seen. With no clear motive found on scene and no witnesses to identify the perpetrator, the police began to formulate a list of suspects that they started to arrest and question. Carl Gabriel was the first suspect. He was the deceased husband of Victoria Gabriel and had reportedly been killed in Arras, France during World War I. His body, however, had never been recovered. After the murders, the public wondered whether he had actually died during the war. Because Joseph was illegitimately born to his mother, Victoria, Karl could have grown angry about this and murdered the entire family, especially if he thought that Andreas was the father. And this theory would explain why the attack on young Sezelia wasn't as bad as the rest of the family, as she was his daughter. At the end of World War II, war captives from Schrobenhausen, who had been captured by the Soviets, claimed that they had been sent home by a German-speaking Soviet officer who even claimed to be the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. Some of these men later changed and even withdrew their statements, which took a lot of credibility from the overall group. The running theory was that the Soviet may have been Carl Gabriel, as it was known throughout the village that Carl had always wanted to move to Russia. The next suspect was Lorenz Littenbayer. This was the man believed to have been in a relationship with Victoria and may have been Joseph's father. Lorenzo's wife had died in 1918, and shortly after her death, rumors about his and Victoria's relationship began circulating. This immediately made him a suspect, of course, not to mention he was the one to discover the bodies, and he was the one adamant on sending his sons to the farm and then following up with his friends when his sons didn't find anything. His friends, Michael and Jacob, later came forward to say some suspicious things done at this scene. They had to break the gate to enter the barn because all of the doors were locked from the inside. After finding the four bodies in the barn, not only did Lorenz not seem horrified at the sight, But he immediately went to the house, unlocked the front door with a key, and entered the house alone, unaware if the perpetrator was still there. A key to the house had gone missing a few days before the murders, though it was also a possibility that if him and Victoria had been in a secret relationship, he may have been given the key and he may not have stolen it. Lorenz later defended himself by saying he went to look for quote, his son, unquote. Joseph. He also moved the bodies around, as mentioned earlier. He was the one who dragged them from their original places and disturbed the crime scene, potentially compromising the entire investigation. For years after, Lorenz made strange comments about the murders that only the perpetrator would know. Local suspicion remained mostly on him after Carl was proven dead. He was known to say things such as, quote, The perpetrator's attempt to bury the family's remains in the barn had been hindered by frozen ground, This was seen as intimate knowledge of the crimes, but at the same time, he also lived in the area and probably knew the conditions from his own outside experience. Apparently, Victoria had asked Lorenz for financial support with her son, Joseph, and locals thought Lorenz killed the entire family after this request. In 1941, just before his death, Lorenz won several civil suits for slander, specifically against the people who had outright accused him of being, quote, the murderer of Hinterkaifeck, unquote. In 1951, a prosecutor named Andreas Pop began his own investigation into the case. A woman named Krasentia Mayer claimed on her deathbed that her brothers, Adolf and Anton Gump had committed the Hinterkaifeck murders. Adolf had died in 1944, but Anton Gump was arrested on this confession. After a short time of questioning, he was released again, and in 1954, the case against him was dropped due to the lack of evidence. Kurzesnans Ryger worked as the maid for the family from November 1920 to about September 1921, she suspected that her own brothers, Anton and Karl Bickler had committed the murders. Anton had helped with the potato harvest on the property and was said to have known the area well. He apparently once said that he thought the entire family should be dead. Krzesznes also reported talking to a stranger through her window at night while she worked there, who she thought was Carl, her brother. She thought they could have committed the murders with a third man named George Seigel, a man who knew of the family fortune. Supposedly, George had broken into the Hinterkaifeck before and stolen multiple items, though he denied this. According to the same statement by the former maid, the Thaler brothers could also be suspected. They had committed several minor burglaries in the area before the crime. In this statement, it was apparently Joseph Thaler who stood at the window and talked to her at night. I'm not sure how she can't tell the difference between a stranger and her brother, but these were her statements. In the book, quote, The Man from the Train, unquote, written by Bill James, Bill claims that a man named Paul Mueller may have been responsible for the murders. Paul is an alleged American killer, for those of you who don't know him. Bill James wrote this book to link him to a similar massacre in America. The Hinterkaifeck murders bore some resemblance to Paul's alleged crimes in the U.S., including killing an entire family in their isolated home and using a blunt object as a weapon, along with no signs of robbery. Bill goes on to say that Mueller may have left the U.S. and fled to Germany where he was originally from, after the authorities and journalists began to link the series of crimes in America back to him. Now, I do want to mention the entire book, The Man from the Train, is based on this man, Bill, trying to link Paul Mueller to this case in America. Paul Mueller has never been officially listed as a suspect in this case. Yes, he's a person of interest, but that doesn't mean a suspect. So, I don't know how much weight I would put behind Bill's book, as it is just a whole book based on his theory. This concludes the list of suspects, so now I'd like to talk about some of the other things around the case, including what happened in 1923, when the farm was demolished. The family was buried without their heads in a plot in Weidhofen, as the skulls were actually lost during World War II and have never been recovered. When the farm was demolished, the murder weapon was finally found in a secret area of the house that was unknown to authorities before. The weapon had, in fact, been a matic. In the attic, there were traces of human feces and crumbs of food were also discovered. It was also found that the tiles of the floor in the attic could be removed which would have allowed for someone to secretly track the movements of the family below. A journalist named Joseph Ludwig Hecker wrote a series of articles in Schrobenhuisener's Yutang in an attempt to bring attention back to the case. This worked for a while, but it was reopened and nothing came of it, and attention faded again. In 1991, the radio station Funkhaus in Gladitat Aired a documentary called, quote, Hinter Kaifek, and Lion's Morridors, unquote. This translates to, quote, Hinter Kaifeck, On the Trail of Murderers, unquote. In 2007, the students in the German Police Academy examined the case yet again with more modern investigation techniques, and apparently, they narrowed down the suspect list to just one person. They never released the name of this person though, as they are already dead, and they wanted to let the family rest in peace. I hope you guys enjoyed this case as much as I do, even though the ending is a little bit frustrating, as there is a possible answer to this almost century-old mystery. The sources for this episode include medium.com slash lockdownfiles, files, mentalfloss.com, filmdaily.co, and wikipedia. If you're looking to do a deeper dive into the Hinterkaifeck murders, then I would suggest going to Hinterkaifeck.net as it has all of the original documents from the police investigation and all of the court documents from Andreas and Victoria's relationship, from all of the arrests and from anyone prosecuted, even Lorenz's civil suits. This is an excellent resource, so I hope you guys are interested and end up checking it out. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I would really appreciate it if you all would follow and leave a 5-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, as it really helps the podcast to grow. You can find us on Facebook at True Crime Worldwide, on Instagram at True Crime Worldwide Podcast, and on Twitter at Worldwide Crime or true crime worldwide this episode was written and edited by annika penny the intro music was written and produced by ben james who you can find on youtube at b-e-n-j-e-m-i-m-a the cover photo was taken and edited by kyle Shao, who you can find on both youtube and instagram true crime worldwide is produced by h penny entertainment